All right, kids, hey, if you're a fifth grader this morning, you'll be with the third and fourth grade class. Kids, you guys have a great time. We'll see you later on. Well, my name is Dallas. I'm going to do the scripture reading this morning from John chapter 17. I'm going to start in verse 22 and read through 26. This is from the New American Standard Version. It says this, The glory, this is Jesus talking, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. The scriptures are as relevant today as they were then. Amen? Well, it's my honor to introduce our speaker this morning. Um, you get to hear periodically from two legends here at Grace Meadows. One is Ira Cunningham, which you'll get to hear from in just a few weeks, and we're excited about that. The other one is my dad. And uh, Walter Crouch is here with us this morning, and uh, he is truly one of the best communicators that, that I know, that I've ever heard. And I'm not biased or anything, but uh, no, he's truly one of one, and we're just thankful to have you here this morning. Uh, thank you, Dal. You want to take it away? To be here. I sure will. Thank you. I just want to know if I'm such a good communicator, why didn't you listen when you were in high school? So, <laughs> just, just, just wondered about that, so... <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. I've uh, been looking forward to this for a while to be with you. Um, men, congratulations. You got here. That's, that's wonderful today. I saw a lot of kids go out. So uh, how many of you made it on time even? I think if you made it on time, that's just wonderful. It speaks, speaks well. Your wife has you trained well. So, so thank you. A third grade teacher asked her class to write some letters to God. So here's a couple I'd, I'd like to share with you. Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that or was it an accident? Signed, Norma. Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in the church. Is that okay? Signed, Neil. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but I prayed for a puppy. Signed, Joyce. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can't never do it. Signed, Nan. Isn't it amazing the insight of little kids 
That last letter is the one that I want to step off of, though, where a little child, third grade, realizes how hard it is to just love everybody. It is hard, isn't it, in our families and also in our churches. The scripture passage that Dal read comes from John chapter 17, which is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. This Jesus knows that he's soon to be betrayed, he will be arrested, he will be put on trial, and then he'll be crucified. This high priestly prayer before God, he raises up the whole movement that he has started with all of his followers, the disciples, and those who will follow the disciples that will believe in him. He intercedes on the behalf of all of those who will end up calling themselves Christians. Isn't it great to know that we have an intercessor in Jesus Christ himself on our behalf? In this prayer, he actually asked for two things in the passage that, that Dow read. Two main things. One, that we might be perfected in unity. And secondly, that we might experience the love that the Father has for the Son. Two requests, that we might be perfected in unity, and secondly, that we would have the same love in us that the Father has for the Son. I don't know about you all, but just saying that, I feel a tinge of conviction in my own heart. I mean, when I think about all of those times in my own life as a member of my family and as a member of a church, how I was a person that was not perfecting unity with those that I say that I love. When I think about the love that the Father had for the Son, a perfect love, a giving love, an all-encompassing love, I wonder in my own life how many times I have really shown that kind of love to others. Well, this morning, I want to help us just look at those couple requests for just a few moments and see how they apply to our lives in both our families and in both and also in this family, the family of God here at Grace Meadows Church. First of all, let me assure you of one objective reality, and that's this. The unity of the church is not dependent upon you. Now, some of you can just breathe a sigh of relief and say, thank God, especially your pastor. The unity of the church is not dependent upon you. The unity of the church is not dependent upon the unity of its members, but on the unity that we have in Jesus Christ who saves us. Galatians 3, 26 to 28 says, For you are all our sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul says something astounding here. He says that we have a unity in Christ that is even stronger than the three different couplets he used to show how unity overcomes any differences that we may have. Look at what he says. He says that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. That your own ethnicity, your background, your race, all of that that separates us in this world is overcome in the unity that we have in Christ. 
He also says your social station in life. Now in that day, there was slave and free. In our day, there are poor and rich. There are many different strata to the, to the social makeup of our society. But Paul says here that in Christ, that those divisions that we have in this world also come to an end and we are all one. And then he goes beyond the pale. <laughs> he says that in Christ, there's neither male nor female as well. I mean, the gender differences we have are very real, and thank God for those differences. I love the fact that God created the world and the order of the family the way that he did, a man and a woman coming together in love, that we are different. And I agree with the French, viva la différence. I love it, right? I mean, women are beautiful. They're wonderful. I'm glad they're not like me. I'm a man, right? Thank God. But in Christ, even that wonderful difference that we have as man and woman, male and female, are overcome in the oneness, the oneness that we have in Christ. Ephesians 4, 4 4-6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over us all and through all and in all. Thank God that the oneness that we have is not left up to us, but is in Christ and what Christ has done for us. We are children of God, the body of Christ, the family of God, the church. Just as in human families, one cannot change their birth, so also those who are born into God's family cannot change their adoption through new birth. Let me see if I can ferret that out just a little bit. Believe it or not, Through the years, Dallas and I have not necessarily seen eye to eye. I know that's hard to believe, that we would disagree on things while he was growing up. Unfortunately, I think one of the traits that Dallas did inherit from me was a thing called a strong will. What our family would just say is hard-headedness. And through the years, we've rubbed against each other time and time again, There would be times when he would be disappointed in me and times when I would be disappointed in him. And there would be times when our relationship was not as close as maybe that it should be. But you want to know what never changed? He was still my son and I was still his dad. That if he got so mad at me that he changed his last name and moved to the other side of the planet and claimed he didn't know me, it still would not change a thing. The objective reality is what? He is my son and I am his dad. And do you know that it's the same way in the family of God? That once you have been born again, once you have been adopted, which Steve did so wonderfully last week explaining how God chooses us to come into his family, that we are adopted. What a beautiful picture. And I'm still amazed that God would adopt somebody like me. 
But once you're adopted, Jesus says he knows his sheep and he knows those who are in his hand. And no one can remove them from him. That we, as imperfect as we are, the objective reality is we are still children of God and our unity is in Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for us. And nothing we can do can change that unity. It is an objective fact. Now you may say, sometimes I don't feel like I'm in unity with my own family or with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, that is true. We are not commanded to become one in Christ. Our unity in Christ is already an objective reality, but we are commanded, however, to make our subjective reality in this world reflect the objective reality that is always true. Right? In other words, we are one in Christ Nothing can change that. We are children of God. Nothing can change that. None of our actions on this earth can. But we are commanded in this reality in which we live to try to perfect ourselves and achieve and strive towards that unity that we already have in Christ. Let me see if I can explain that a little better. Um... When someone joins the armed forces, when are they actually a soldier? It's when they step into that recruiting office, raise their right hand, and take an oath to defend this country. That's when they become a soldier. Now, let me ask you, in that moment, do they look like a soldier? Nope, they probably have their civvies on still, right? Their civilian clothes. They probably have long hair. They're probably a little slouched when they stand there. I mean, they look nothing like a soldier, but they are a soldier. So what do, we, what do they do? They put a uniform on them and they cut their hair. Now, once they put a uniform on them and they cut their hair, they look like a soldier, but do you think at that moment they're a very good soldier? I mean, they may not even know how to shoot a gun. Right? They may not know how to march in order. But they're still a soldier. So what do we do? They go to basic training. And what do they do in basic training? They learn to become what they already are. They learn to become what they already are and friends the same it's the same in the christian life when do you become a christian the moment you do what you say the oath you place your faith in jesus christ when god responds to that act of faith and adopts you into his family in that moment you are a christian now do you necessarily look like a christian Boy, I remember when I came to know Christ, I was a mess. Are you kidding? I was fastly becoming an alcoholic. I was drinking too much, cursing too much. I was putting pressure on my family. Pam, bless her heart, what a saint. She put up with so much in those days. And when I first became a Christian, 
man, I got to tell you, I didn't look like one at all. But what's the next step? The soldier gets a haircut and puts on a uniform. For me, the first step is putting on a uniform. A Christian is doing something like saying, I want to be baptized. I want to partner with the church. Right? And a lot of young Christians do that. They are baptized. They partner with the church. But do they necessarily act like a Christian? Are they the best Christian in the world automatically? No. What we do then is we attend church we become part of the fellowship and we spend the rest of our lives becoming what we already are. It's the same with the fellowship and unity of the church. What are we doing day by day through worship and fellowship and discipleship and service? We are working together to become unified to become one something that we already are so what should we do how do we react to that if we're already one i mean i can skate right i don't have to apply myself others are applying themselves we're imperfect we live by grace we love on one another we forgive one another what are my obligations to the unity of the church what are my obligations to the unity in my own family what are my obligations your obligations are is that you've named the name of jesus christ and jesus himself demands that we do what that we love one another and that we strive for the unity of the faith so let me give you some Three little things that you can do in the midst of this. By the way, let me just say, because we live in the world and we're imperfect, because we're growing in our faith and in our unity, there are going to be times when there is disunity. There are going to be times when we don't get along so well. We shouldn't be surprised by that, and we shouldn't overreact to that. It's just going to happen sometimes. If you're a mom or a dad or you're a member of a family, you know that good families have quarrels. Isn't quarrels a nice word? <laughs> right? Our family had a quarrel. You know, why not? We had a knockdown, drag out fight, right? No, we, we had a quarrel. That's, that's really nice. We had a quarrel. You know, there was a, a family counselor said, show me a family that has no quarrels and I'll show you a family that will fall apart. You know why families have quarrels? Because the depth of relationship and the depth of ownership and the depth of expectations that we have of one another, that's a good thing. Why are there quarrels in church? Notice I use the word quarrels for church as well. I've seen some knock, you know, I've seen some of the worst fights ever. I, I got to tell you, this, I, I, the all-time best, best, what a word. I probably shouldn't use best when talking about a fight, right? Easter Sunday morning, I'm standing at the back door of the church greeting the great crowd that has showed up for Easter Sunday, and one of my deacons comes frantically running to me and grabs me by the shoulder and says, Brother Walter, 
there's a fight in the front of the church. I'm talking fisticuffs. Wow. Easter Sunday morning. Now, I know you all are going to want to know what it was about, right? I mean, we all want to know that stuff so we can tell someone else. Well, there was a couple in the church that had been divorced and had children, and both in the, stayed in the church itself. And guess what? There was a disagreement about who should have the kids sitting with them on Easter Sunday morning. How sad, huh? What a witness that was to their children. But the fact of the reality is, guess what? We all care deeply. We all have deep expectations. We all have deep ownership of our families and in our churches. And when that happens, disagreements are going to happen because we're not perfect yet. We're still sinners saved by grace. And thank God, God gives us grace to deal with one another. So what can you do? Three things, just very quickly. First, we must make unity in Christ a priority. Let me give you a bold statement. Anything that you feel is more important to be unified in than in Christ is an idol. Is an idol. I have seen the unity of Christ suffer immensely in just the last few years in the realms of politics and social mores and things like that. That what? We have all, over the last few years, because of the polarization in our society, because of social media and things like that, we have all lost friends and loved ones and maybe even family members that we're no longer related to in a normal and good way because of what? Disagreements. Over wanting to have unity on secondary issues rather than primary issues. Our unity in the church is in Jesus Christ. And any time we make anything else more important than that unity, that thing has become an idol in our lives. Wow. Wow, that puts a burden on us, doesn't it? We must make our unity in Christ more important than our unity in politics or our traditions or our social practices. You know, there's a saying from the early church. And by the way, this saying has been attributed to at least three different saints of old. So who knows who it belongs to. But it's a great saying that might help you in this area. Listen to this saying. It goes this way. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Wouldn't that be a great way to operate? In the essentials, unity, and we know what the essentials are. The Ephesians passage tells us there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Those are the essentials of salvation. They all pertain to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Those are essential. Those are things on which we must agree. But there are so many non-essential, secondary issues that get our attention and become too important, so important, that we are willing to break the fellowship we have with one another and the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. In the non-essentials, we should give liberty and freedom and 
and realize that people are different, so there's going to be different ways of thinking about different things, and that's okay. Diversity and variety in the body of Christ is something that Scripture tells us that, that is there, that we have all different members of the body, that some are hands and some are toes and some are the heart, but Christ is always the head. The secondary thing should never become primary. And then last of all, in all things, charity. A great word for the word love. That no matter what goes on in the church, in the essentials or non-essentials, we should still react to each other with love and grace. You know, there was a time I claimed to be a Baptist. And as a Baptist, (laughs) I always used to say to folks, since I'm a Baptist, I believe you have every right to be wrong right well guess what you have every right to be different you have every right to be different god did not make us all the same we're all different everybody look at your finger your forefinger just look at it look at it a moment come on i don't see some of you looking at it look at it do you realize the fingerprint that you see there no one else in the world has no one that you are totally unique god created you that way and loves you that way and so you have every right to be different because god created us all different in the essentials unity In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Make unity in Christ a priority. Second, we must commit to walk together knowing difficult times will probably come. We must commit to walk together knowing difficult times may come. Back 20-some years ago, back when what I call the Baptist Wars, being a Baptist pastor, I was in the middle of those, were going on. When those were going on, a lot of Baptist pastors were using a passage from the book of Amos, Amos chapter 3, verse 3, And they were using the King James Version, which says it this way. Can two walk together unless they agree? And because there was disagreement in the Baptist church about things like the intricacies of of scriptural uh, inspiration, the role of the pastor, the role of women, all of these different things, because there was not agreement on all those issues, these pastors were saying it was okay to separate. And they were using this verse, Amos 3.3, the King James Version, to back up their argument. Well, you know what the crazy thing about it is? (laughs) The King James Version translation of that scripture is not the best translation. In fact, other translations say things like this. Can two walk together unless they've made an appointment to walk together? 
can two walk together unless they make an agreement to walk together? In other words, they were using the verse directly opposite of what it meant. The verse was saying, it doesn't matter whether you agree on all this other stuff. The only thing that matters for you to walk together is that you agree to walk together. Can two walk together unless they agree to walk together? I tell you what, if you're a hiker and you hike the AT, you'll run into other hikers that you don't know from Adam. And you go to them and say, hey, do you mind if we hike together for a while? And they'll say, yep. And you hike together. And you may be just the opposite in the world of one another. But because you've agreed to walk together, you can walk together. Hear that? When you cast your lot with the church, when you become a partner with this church, you said, I'm agreeing to walk together. Even though there may be difficult times ahead. Make unity in Christ a priority. Secondly, we must commit to walk together during difficult times. And thirdly, well, let me stop a second and use a quick illustration for that last point. I think it's a good one. Uh, back when I was pastor in Elmont, Texas. Anybody know where Elmont, Texas is? Yeah, I didn't figure. Nobody knows where Elmont, Texas is. It's just on the, it's just on the north side of Waco. Just on the north side of Waco. And I was pastor at First Baptist Church, Elmont. One Sunday, there was a couple that was well-known in the community, a well-known Christian couple, that I was told was going to be attending our church. And they, sure enough, they were in church. But I also knew that the church, their home church, that they had attended for over 20 years, was in the midst of conflict and was having difficult times. Well, they attended church that Sunday, and sure enough, at the end of the service, when the altar call was made, this couple gets up and walks to the front of the church. They said, Brother Walter, we would like to move our letter and join First Baptist Church of Belmont. I looked at him and said, are you sure this is God's will for you in this moment? And they hesitated. And I looked at him and said, hey, I know what's going on at your home church. And I want to say this to you with full conviction your church needs you now more than they've ever needed you. Let's pray together. And we dealt and we prayed. And they went back to their church and became peacemakers and helped bring that church back together again. Just know when you commit to walk together, there's going to be difficult times. Thirdly and lastly, we need to have the mind and attitude of Christ, a willingness to sacrifice our own desires for the benefit of others. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 says this, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. 
Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." As we grow in the image and likeness of Christ, walking together in unity will be easier, not harder. As you grow in Christ and become more like Christ, you are more willing to sacrifice your own desires and your own wants for the needs of others. Isn't it amazing? Some of the most contrarian people in church are long-time mature Christians. Uh, shake your head yes. I agree with those who are shaking their head yes. I've had some of those rascal deacons in my church. Right? Been Christians for 40 years but can't get along. How does that happen? The way I read this passage, if we grow in Jesus Christ, we learn to humble ourselves and put our own needs as secondary and put the needs of others first. That we think of others as more important than ourselves and that we're willing to lay down our lives for the benefit of others. See, the longer you've been a Christian, the more unity in the church should be easier, not harder. So let's review. Make priority in Christ primary. Secondly, commit to walking together. And thirdly, grow in Jesus Christ and have the same attitude and mind that Jesus had. The high priestly prayer is the answer to that prayer in our midst. Is there unity in Christ and love for one another? Being at Appalachia Service Project, I've had the great privilege of working with many different denominations. Probably close to 30 different denominations or groupings of churches. Um, often when I get them together, I kid and say something like, I don't care what abomination, I mean denomination you're from. What I see is the body of Christ. That we are unified in Christ and we are unified in the mission that we're doing of making the homes of low-income families warmer, safer, and drier. And one of the neatest groups that I get to work with are Mennonites and Amish friends. I tell you, they are so secure in their faith, it's unbelievable. It's just incredible, their tolerance and love and grace that they show to others. Well, the story is told that an Amish fellow was asked, are you a Christian? And his reply was this, I don't know, you'll have to ask my neighbor. Mm. Mm. This morning, are you a Christian? Is the unity of Christ priority for you? Are you committed to walk together? Do you have 
the mind and attitude of Christ. Let's pray together while the worship team comes up. Lord God, I thank you so much for the love that you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you that unity is not up to us, but that, Lord, that we are commanded to grow closer and closer together till one day we reach that perfection of unity when we're with you in a place called heaven. Now, Lord, this morning, we don't know exactly who has been touched by the words that have been spoken your word goes forth and i know it always accomplishes that that you want it to accomplish but lord if there's any that needs to make any kind of decision this morning it is my prayer that they will do it uh, during our time of singing lord we thank you for the church we thank you for our families help bring us together in your unity and in your love this i pray in christ's name Amen. Amen.